and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe during this time. Um, I just want to apologise slightly for my audio this week. Um, my microphone doesn't seem to be attaching to my computer so well, so I'm having to use a different one, which may sound a little tinny. Also, that I didn't actually put out an episode last week. I had my son for the last week before school returned this week, and I was just trying to jam-pack everything that I could in for him, really, and make sure that he was entertained. At the end of the last episode, I wasn't sure what I was going to cover, as I'm going to cover the issues of parole and all the things that come along with it in different countries and different jurisdictions in February, as I'll be able to have more time to do my research a bit more in depth since my little one is now back at school. So this week, however, I'm going to be covering the legend of Pandora's Box. I have known about this legend for a long time. I loved classics and Latin in secondary school and I love finding out all about the gods and their stories. The story of Pandora has been painted in many artworks and converted into many short stories, but where did it actually come from and is there any truth behind the legend? Similar to the last episode, I will start by telling you the story that I actually read to my, well, I will read to my son eventually. And again, if you do know the story, then please excuse this, but I think it's important for those who are not so familiar to actually hear the story and hear what actually happened and the names that are actually involved in it. Because we all know the brilliant Disney Hercules story and how fantastically colourful that is, but unfortunately the Greek and Roman gods were quite brutal, really, and the stories have been painted with a rose tint where they were really quite, I don't know, you, you could see them as a very angry gods. So here is the story of Pandora's box. Pandora couldn't sleep. She kept thinking about that box that she wasn't supposed to open. And it was past midnight by now. It was still her first day of existence. She thought back to how her day and indeed her life had started on Mount Olympus. Zeus had ordered Hephaestus to create Pandora from water and earth. As soon as she was formed, the other gods started giving her gifts. Aphrodite gave her beauty, Hermes gave her the ability to talk, and Athena gave her fine clothes to wear. She was also given necklaces, jewellery and a tiara. At this point, Pandora was feeling really good about herself. It was only her first day of existing after all. She must be really special for the gods to be giving her such many wonderful gifts. After all the other gods had given her the gifts, Zeus, Zeus himself stepped forward. He handed her a magnificent box and told her never to open it. Why not? she asked. Being so new, Pandora's mind up to now had felt like it was not fully formed. It was like a sensation of only being half awake. That moment when she questioned something for the first time 
might have been when she finally started to develop real concrete thoughts. Because I have ordered it, said Zeus. But why? Pandora persisted. This did not make sense to her. I am the king of the gods and you will obey me, said Zeus. You are also to go down to earth and marry a man named Epimetheus. What does marry mean? asked Pandora. Marriage is a beautiful thing, said Hera. It means you devote yourself to someone else and you two become partners in life. But I don't even know Epimetheus, Pandora objected. How can I marry him? You were created to give him companionship, Zeus explained. And so Pandora walked down from Mount Olympus, carrying the box that she wasn't allowed to open. She had only just been created and already she had a lot to think about. If her purpose in life was to give companionship to Epimetheus, she supposed she ought to do it. But why were the thoughts counter to that swimming around in her mind? She found herself thinking that maybe she didn't want to marry Epimetheus and that her being ordered to wasn't so fair. If giving companionship to Epimetheus was the purpose for which she was created, why had she been given the ability to think these thoughts? It didn't make sense. And what was in the box? Why wasn't she allowed to open it? If Zeus had said not to open it, he must have a good reason. But why wouldn't he share the reason with her? Why was the box given to her if she wasn't allowed to open it? Would she be allowed to open it when she got to Epimetheus? She hoped so. She was really curious about it. She kept wanting to take just one little peek inside, but resisted it. She told herself that if she was supposed to open it later, she would feel really bad about opening it now. She could be patient. She could be good. But why had she been given the ability to think of doing otherwise? Could she actually do otherwise? Pandora stopped walking, suddenly overcome by doubt. Who was she? Well, that seemed pretty straightforward. She was Pandora. She was created by the gods. She was going to be the wife of Epimetheus. She was the person carrying the box she wasn't allowed to open. This was her whole identity. Literally everything she knew about herself. If she deviated from that, she would know nothing. Almost nothing but the only identity she did have was full of questions and contradictions. It was so scary. Who was she? Who was she really? Pandora shook herself and continued on down the mountain, still not opening the box. Finally, she got to Epimetheus. She hoped that he would have some answers. She decided that she would do what she was supposed to do. She would marry Epimetheus. She would give him love and companionship, and she would be good. Hello, she said to him, trying to smile pleasantly. I'm Pandora. Suddenly, her hands holding the box started to shake. She felt really nervous. Zeus sent you, didn't he? Asked Epimetheus. Yes, Pandora explained, and she ran forward. Finally, her questions would be answers. Do you know what's in the box? Zeus told me not to open it. She handed the box to him. I don't know, said Epimetheus, but I know I wouldn't open it. Pandora's hopes crashed, but she felt glad that at least the box wasn't only her problem now.
I'm supposed to marry you, she explained. Of course you are, Epimetheus replied cynically. Pandora felt like her heart was being crushed. Marrying Epimetheus was supposed to be her purpose in life. If he didn't want her, what meaning did her life have? Who was she if she was not Epimetheus' wife? I, I don't understand, she said, her voice shaking. Let me explain it to you, said Epimetheus. I helped my brother Prometheus steal fire from the gods and give it to humans. Zeus was very angry and punished him by chaining him to a rock. And now he has sent you down here to punish me. I don't want to punish you, exclaimed Pandora at once. Well, that is what you were created for, said Epimetheus. Pandora did not know what to think. She had only existed for a few hours and already she was being told her entire identity was a lie. What was she to believe? What was she to do? Who was she? If she was just a tool for delivering punishment, why could she think? Why could she feel? Why did she want to be good? Finally, she decided to tell Epimetheus the truth. I don't know why the gods created me, she said, but they told me I was supposed to give you companionship. I don't know if that's true, but I will be your wife if you will take me. After a while, Epimetheus replied, I believe you are as sincere. I will marry you. They were married that afternoon and Pandora continued thinking. The gods had told her to marry Epimetheus and had not explicitly told her to punish him. So she could be a good wife to him without being in defiance of the gods. She had decided that that's what she would do for now. If Epimetheus and the gods agreed on something, she supposed she ought to do it. But what if the gods come along later and tell her to punish him? If they did, what would she do? Would she defy the gods? Whose side was she on? Being new to the world, Pandora felt she had no way of knowing who was right and who was wrong. Punishing Epimetheus felt wrong to her. But maybe it was right if that's what the gods wanted. Or was Epimetheus wrong about her being there to punish him? Maybe he was just paranoid. If he was paranoid, why would he think that? And why would Zeus want to give a wife to such a person? She lay in bed that night. Pandora was still thinking about these things. It was really quite cruel a thing to create a being for the purpose of delivering punishment and then give that being the ability to think and feel and question. She thought of how confused she had thought she was when she had been walking down Mount Olympus. That now felt like long ago, an age of innocence, a time when her life had clear purpose. And what was in that stupid box? She had spent the first first hours of her life carrying that box all the way down from Mount Olympus. She felt like that box was almost part of her. And now it was clear that she would never find out what was actually in it. That was not fair. But Epimetheus and the gods had both told her that she should not open the box, so she supposed she shouldn't. Pandora sat up. Her life made no sense. Since she had been created, she had had a million questions, and nothing had been explained to her satisfaction. She was mad. Why had the gods made her like this? 
She could dimly recall the beginning of her life when she had thought that she must be very special. But she didn't feel special now. She still had all that gold and jewellery, but now it meant nothing. She didn't want the pretty clothes and the jewellery. She wanted answers. She got up, walked across the room and picked up the box. What was inside the box? Did it contain the answers? It would at least contain the answer to the question of what was inside the box. Why shouldn't she open it? Because the gods told her not to? Why should she listen to them? They had not treated her right. They had given her a life full of questions and explained nothing. She felt more confused than ever about who she was and what purpose of her life was supposed to be. They should have explained those things to her, but they hadn't. If they were not going to explain anything, then she was going to find out on her own. That would show her. Pandora opened the box and all the evils to plague humanity were released, just as Zeus had planned from the beginning. Now for the myth. Pandora's box is an artifact in Greek mythology con connected with this myth of Pandora in Hesiodon's In Work of Days. In modern times, an idiom has grown from its meaning, any source of great and unexpected troubles, or alternatively, a present which seems valuable, but which in reality is a curse. Later depictions of the fatal container have been varied while some literary and artistic treatments have focused more on the context of the idiomatic box than on Pandora herself. The container mentioned in the original story was actually a large storage jar, but the word was, mis was mistranslated as box. According to Hesiodon, when Prometheus stole the fire from the heavens, Zeus, the king of gods, took vengeance by presenting Pandora to Prometheus' brother, Epimetheus. Pandora opened the jar left in her care, containing sickness, death, and many other unspecified evils, which were then released into the world. Though she hastened to close the container, it is believed that only one thing was left behind. Usually translated as hope. Though it could also have the pessimistic meaning of deceptive expectation. From this story has grown the idiom to open Pandora's box, meaning to do or to start something that may cause many unforeseen problems. And the modern, more colloquial equivalent is to open a can of worms. As I mentioned above, the word translated as box was actually large jar. Uh, but I think it's pronounced pithos in Greek. Pithwai were used for storage of wine, oil, grain, and other provisions, or ritually as a container for a human body for burying, from which it was believed the souls escaped and necessarily returned. Many scholars see a close analogy between Pandora herself, who was made from clay, 
and the clay jar which dispenses the evils. The mistranslation of the pathos is usually attributed to the 16th century humanist Erasmus, who in his Latin account of the story of Pandora changed the Greek pithos to pix, meaning box. The context in which the story appeared was Erasmus' collection of proverbs and the Aegean, so in 1508. In illustration of the Latin saying, malo accepto stulus sapit, from experiencing trouble a fool is made wise. In his version, the box is opened by Epimetheus, whose name actually means afterthought, or as Hesed comments, he who mistakes made wise. There were alternative accounts of jars or urns containing blessings and evils um, bestowed upon humanity in Greek myth, of which a very early account is related in Homer's Iliad. On the floor of Jove's palace, there, is, there stands two urns, one filled with evil gifts and the other with good ones. He for whom Jove, the Lord of Thunder, mixes the gifts he sends. He will meet now with good and now with evil fortune. But he to whom Jove sends none but evil gifts will be pointed by the finger of scorn. The hand of famine will pursue him to the ends of the world and he will go up and down the face of the earth, respected neither by gods nor men. In a major departure from Hesiod in the 6th century BC, Greek Echiad poet Thinagos of Megara states that hope is the only good god remaining among mankind. The others have left and gone to Olympus. Trust a mighty god has gone Restraint is gone from men, and the graces, my friend, have abandoned the earth. Men's judicial oaths are no longer to be trusted, nor does anyone revere the immortal gods. The race of pious men has perished, and men no longer recognise the rules or conducts or acts of piety. The poem seems to hint at a myth in which the jar contained blessings rather than evils. It is also confirmed in the new era by episodic fable recorded by Barrus, in which the gods send the jar containing blessings to human. Rather than a named female, it was a generic foolish man who opened the jar out of curiosity and let them escape. Once the lid was replaced, only hope remained, promising that she would bestow on each of us the good things that have gone away. This ethetiographical version is numbered 312 in a Perry Index. In the Renaissance, the story of the jar was revisited by two immensely influential writers, Andrea Alessio in his Emblemata in 1532, and the Neo-Latin poet Gabriel Ferreno in his collection of 100 fables, Fiblium Centum in 1563. Alciato only alluded to the story while depicting the goddess Hope seated on a jar, in which she declares, I alone stayed behind at home when evils fluttered all around, as the revered muse of the old poet Hesadin had told you. Ferreno's short poem also addressed the origin of hope, 
But in this case, it is the remainder of the universal blessings, Bona Universa, that have escaped. Of all good things that morals lack, hope in the soul alone stays back. An idea of the nature of the blessings lost is given in the Renaissance engraving by Giulio Bonasco, where the culprit is Pandora's husband, Epimetheus. He is shown holding the lid of the large storage jar from which the female representations of the Roman virtues are flying up into the air. They are identified by their names in Latin, security, salus, harmony, concordia, fairness, equitis, mercy, clemencia, freedom, liberatus, happiness, felicitas, peace, pax, worth, virtuous, and joy, letiasa. Hope, space, is delayed on the lip and holds aloft the flower that is his, her, her tribute. In her sadistic scholarship, the interpretive crux has endured. Is the hope imprisoned within a jar full of evils to be considered a benefit for humanity or a further curse? A number of mythology textbooks echo the sentiments of M.L. West. Hope's retention in the jar is comforting, and we ought to be thankful for this anecdote in our present ills. But some scholars, such as Mark Griffith, however, take the opposite view. Hope seems to be a blessing withheld from men so that their life should be more dreary and depressing. The interpretation hangs on two related questions. First, how is epilis to be rendered, the Greek word usually translated as hope? And second, does the jar preserve epilis for men or keep it away from men? As with most ancient Greek words, epilis can be translated a number of ways. A number of scholars prefer the neutral translation of expectation. Classic authors use the word ephilis to mean expectation of bad, as well as expectation of good. Statistical analysis demonstrates that the latter sense appears five times more than the former in all of the extant ancient Greek literature. Others hold the minority view that the ephilis should be rendered as the expectation of evil vilsim. The answer to the first question largely depends on the answer of the second one. Should the jar be interpreted as a prison or a pantry? The jar certainly serves as a prison for the evils that Pandora released. They only affect humanity once outside the jar. And some have argued that the logical dictates, therefore, that the jar acts as a prison for Epilus as well, withholding it from the human race. If Elpis means expectant hope, then the myth's tone is pessimistic. All the evils in the world were scattered from Pandora's jar, while one potentially mitigating force, hope, remains locked securely inside. A less pessimistic interpretation understands the myth to say, countless evils fled Pandora's jar, a plague human existence, and hope that humanity might be able to master these evils remains imprisoned inside the jar. Life is not hopeless, but human beings 
are hopelessly human. I think that's what I gleamed from the story about Zeus creating Pandora, saying that humans are really hopelessly human. We all have those human thoughts which go inside our heads and those doubts that come in. And that's basically what Zeus was banking on in Pandora in the story, that she would give in to those doubts. She would give in to that other thoughts, uh, the thoughts to do something that she's been told not to do. And it was true. He got what he wanted from her. It is also argued that hope was simply one of the evils in the jar, the false kind of hope, and was no good for humanity since later in the poem, Hesiden writes that hope is empty and no good and makes humanity lazy by taking away their industriousness and making them prone to evil. Inhuman, all too human, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, excuse my pronunciation, argued that Zeus did not want man to throw his life away, no matter how much the other evils might torment him, but rather to go on letting himself be tormented anew. To that end, he gives man hope. In truth, it is the most evil of evils because it prolongs man's torment. An objection to the hope is good, the jar is a prison interpretation counters that if the jar is full of evils, then what is expectant of hope? A blessing doing among them? This objection leads to some render Epilus as the expectation of evil, which would make the myth's terms somewhat optimistic. Although mankind is troubled by all the evils in the world, at least it is spared the continual expectation of evil, which would make life unbearable. The optimistic reading of the myth is expect, ex expressed by M.L. West, Epilus, takes more the common meaning of expectant hope. And while the jar served as a prison for the evils that escaped, it thereafter serves as a resonant for hope. West explains, it would be absurd to represent either the presence of ills by their confinement in the jar or the presence of hope by its escape from one. Hope is thus preserved as a benefit for humans. Neither Alisto or Ferno, from the earlier references, named who, who was responsible for opening the jar beyond saying it was immortal. During the Renaissance, it is the name of Epimetheus that is mentioned as often as not, as in the engraving by Bonasson, noted in the above and mentioned and the mention of Pandora's partner in the rondeau that Isaac de Bessin took upon himself to insert into his light-hearted version of the Metamorphoses in 1678 although Ovid had not in fact written about himself. In a jar of odious treasure is shut by the god's wish a gift that is not every day the owner's Pandora alone and her eyes this in hand commands the best in the land. As she flits near or far, prettiness can't stay shut in a jar. Someone took her eye, he took a look at what pleased her, so and what came out of the grief and woe we won't ever be rid of, for heaven had hidden in that jar. 
The etching by Sebastian Leclerc that accompanied the poem in the book shows Pandora and Epimetheus seated on either side of the jar, from which the clouds of smoke emerge, carrying up the escaping evils. The lid of the jar is quite plainly in Epimetheus's hand. Paolo Forentini, an earlier Venetian artist, was also responsible for a print which lay in blame on Epimetheus, depicting him as lifting the lid from the jar that Pandora is holding. Out of it boils a cloud which carried up a man and a dragon. Between them they support a scroll reading, Cerro Nerum Spere Capitip, finding out too late in reference to the meaning of Epimetheus's name in Greek. Another recent print ascribed to Marco Angelo de Moro from about 1565 to 1586 is much more enigmatic. Usually titled Pandora's Box or The Sciences That Illuminate the Human Spirit, it portrays a woman in an antique dress opening an ornate coffer from which spill books, manuscripts, snakes and bats. By Pandora's side is a woman carrying a burning brand, while a horned figure flees in the opposite direction. Above is a curved vault painting with signs of the zodiac to where the sun god Apollo is pointing, while opposite him another figure falls through the stars. Commenters ascribe different meanings to the symbols as contradictory as the contents of the chest. In one reading, the hand of Pandora holds up to her face makes her a figure of innocence. Alternatively, her eyes are protected because she is dazzled by the snakes crawling from the chest and they are seen as ancient symbols of wisdom. Apollo, seated above, points to Aquarius, the zodiacal sign of January, February, which marks the ascent of the sun from the trough of winter. The falling figure opposite him may be identified as either Lucifer or as night fleeing from the dawn. In either case, the darkness of ignorance is about to be dispelled. The question remains whether the box thus will be opened will in the end be recognised as a blessing, whether the ambiguous nature of knowledge is either to help or hurt. In later centuries, the emphasis in art has generally been on the person of Pandora. With few exceptions, the box has appeared merely as her attribute. René Marguerite's street scene of 1951, however, one of the few modern paintings to carry the title Pandora's Box, is as enigmatic as the Renaissance algorithm prints were. In the first half of the 18th century, three French plays were produced with the title Pandora's Box, La Beauté, La Beauté or De Pandore. In each of these, the main interest is the social and human effects of the evils released from the box, and in only one of them does Pandora figure as a character. In the 1721 play by Alain René Losange, appeared as part of the longer La Fousseffeur. It was a one-act prose drama of 24 scenes in the Comédie d'Art style. At its opening, Mercury has been sent in the guise of a harlequin to check whether the box given by Jupiter to the animated statue Pandora has been opened. He proceeds to stir up disruption in her formerly happy village, unleashing ambition, competition, greed, envy, jealousy, hatred, injustice, treachery and ill health.
Amid the social breakdown, Periot falls out with the bride he was about to marry at the start of the play, and she became, becomes engaged to a social upstart. The play by Philippe Poisson was one act verse comedy, first produced in 1729. There, Mercury, or Hermes, visits the realm of Pluto, or Hades, to interview the ills shortly to be unleashed on mankind. The character's old age, migraine, destitution, hatred, envy, paralysis, quincy, fever, and transport, or emotional instability, report their effects to him. They are preceded by Love, who argues that he deserves to figure among them as the bringer of social disruption. The later play of 1743 was written by Pierre Brumeau and subtitled Curiosity Punished, La Cousse Puni. The three-act satirical verse comedy is set in the home of Epimetheus and the six children recently created by Prometheus. Mercury comes on a visit, bringing the fatal box with him. In it are the evils soon to subvert the innocence of the new creations. Firstly, seven flatters. The genius of honours, of pleasures, riches and gaming. Pack of cards in hand. Taste, fashion, dressed as a harlequin. And false knowledge. These are followed by the seven bringers of evil. Envy, remorse, avarice, poverty, scorn, ignorance, and inconsistency. The corrupt children are rejected by Prometheus, but hope arrives at the end to bring a reconciliation. It is evident from these plays, in France at least, blame has shifted from Pandora to the trickster god, who contrives and enjoys mankind's subversion. Although physical ills are among the plagues that visit humanity, greater emphasis is given to the dispute of passions which destroy possibility of harmonious living. Two poems in English dealing with Pandora's opening of the box are in the form of monologues, through Frank Sayers' preferred term, the monodrama, for his recitation with lyrical interludes, written in 1790. In this, Pandora is descending from the heaven after being endowed with gifts by the gods and therefore feels empowered to open the casket she carries, releasing strife, care, pride, hatred and despair. Only the voice of hope is left to comfort her at the end. In the poem by Samuel Phelps Leland, Pandora has already arrived in the household of Epimetheus and feels equally confident that she is privileged to satisfy her curiosity but with a worse result. Shutting the lid too early, she thus let loose all the curses on mankind without a hope to mitigate their pain. This is the dilemma expressed in the sonnet that Dante Gabriel Rossetti wrote to accompany his oil painting of 1869-1871. This is probably one of the most famous paintings that people will know when you say Pandora, they think of Rossetti. The gifts with which Pandora has been endowed that made her desirable are ultimately subverted. The good things turned ill, nor cast thou know if hope still pent there be alive or dead. In his painting, Rossetti underlines a point as a fiery halo steams upward from the opening casket, which is inscribed with the motto, Nesicature, Insicature, Unknown, It Burns.
While the speakers of the verse monologues are characters hurt simply by their own simplicity, Rossetti's painting of the red robed, red robe, sorry, red robed, red robe Pandora with her expressive gaze and elongated hand about the jeweled casket is a more ambiguous figure. So too is the girl in Lawrence Alamatema's Watercolour of Pandora. As the comments of some of its interpreters indicate, sideways against the seascape, red-haired and naked, she gazed down at the urn lifted towards her with a look of some animal curiosity. Or else lost in contemplation of some treasure from the deep. A moulded sphinx on the unopened lid of the urn is turned in her direction. In the iconography of the time, such a figure is usually associated with the femme fatale. But in this case, the crown of hyacinths about her head identifies Pandora as an innocent Greek maiden. Nevertheless, the presence of the sphinx at which she gazes with such curiosity suggests a personality on the cusp, on the verge of gaining some harmful knowledge that will henceforth negate her uncom uncomplicated qualities. The name that she's been given, Pandora, already tells her the future that she will get. I know it's been a bit information heavy, this one, but I think even at this time when we're in the middle of a pandemic, like, we always think, like, oh, where did this come from? It is, like, what people used to say about the Black Plague or things, the pandemics that used to come out, that it's come from somewhere. Something's been let out of the box. But I do believe in this story where hope is left behind, that we always have to have that little bit of hope that something good may be just there, but unseen. My sources this week were Wikipedia, Pandora Box by Matthew Masail on shortkidstories.com, Poseidon Works and Days, Amma Christine 2013, The American Heritage Dictionary of Idioms, 2nd edition Horton Miffin Harcourt, BLE, The Contents of Poseidon's Pandora's Jar, Erga, pages 94 to 98, uh, Hermes 117 in 1989, pages 227 to 30, Panofsky, Dora and Erwin, Pandora's Box, The Changing Aspects of a myth Mythical Symbol, the New York Pantheon Bulletin Series in 1956. There were so much interesting reads and there's so much information out there. It was a really good subject to cover. As I said, next episode, um, the next series I'm going to be doing is Approaching Parole. So I really want to give people an idea of the different types of parole across countries, what it actually means, whether it actually works, what happens when someone has to comment on a parole board or actually do a paper or a document or some research on the person to see whether they're eligible for parole or whether they show the conditions for their parole. So I just really want to delve into that subject as I think it's something that we all hear about, like you hear, oh, not eligible for parole, eligible for parole. And we just think, oh, they're eligible to be released, but we don't really know what happens in the background of all of them. So I just really want to give that a little bit of coverage in there. 
So thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. If you want to see some of the lovely artworks of Pandora, then please head to our Instagram page, Macabre for Mortals. And if you have anything that you'd like me to cover or any information that you know yourselves, please give me an email on macabreformortals at gmail.com. If you do like this podcast, please consider subscribing to me. Um, I have actually seen that there has been a quite increase of listenership recently, so that's brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me when there are so many other podcasts out there, but I really appreciate it. I hope you all have a fabulous week and please stay safe.